just a little introductory note this is richard Sachs from lost arts radio and normally when we start with a guest <clears throat> whom you're about to hear right now uh, we do an introductory part even with them waiting for a minute and say you know a little bit about their background who they are what their experience has been why they're relevant stuff like that but tonight's discussion that we just taped um i guess that's an old expression that we just recorded uh, used to be done on tape is that what's unusual about it is as soon as we got on um, the zoom platform with our guest made austin we were just talking right away and normally that might happen for a few minutes and then we get into the recorded part but it was so relevant i felt like and, and valuable and i wanted you to get to meet Veda Austin is more on a personal level. So we left the whole thing in, which means there's no introduction. And we're just right into the discussion, which is great if you know who she is and understand what the work with the water and consciousness is. But the people who are in Planetary Healing Club, which you're all invited to if you ever want to come in and do that with us, they know about Emoto's water experiment because we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, not just because it's kind of interesting and unusual, but because my interest is in looking for ways to counteract uh, the global agenda that we're experiencing right now and turn it around before it's too late to save civilization, basically, to put it uh, concisely. And so I'm really looking inside and outside the box of regular thinking and say, what can we do that would make things turn out better than what our rulers plan? Which, according to my investigation over many decades, is uh, that life won't be on this planet anymore, uh, including the perpetrators. That's where they're going. And that's a long story, but um, maybe we'll have a chance to get into it more later. The main point is that the water experiment that I refer to as that is from this guy, Dr. Emoto, in Japan. And he had a laboratory, and he was investigating the consciousness of water. And most people would say, consciousness of water, water is an inanimate object, it's a liquid, and they give you the physics and chemistry explanation of what it is. But um, I picked up on that right away, what he was doing, because in my investigations over a long time, at this point, I see consciousness in everything. I don't really see any more inanimate objects. And again, that that could be a whole show in itself, but just to mention that. Um, so what the water experiment did to say whether water was just an inanimate object 
or had some consciousness in it that could respond to human focus and intent. He put three glasses of water, and I guess there were different versions at different times because he did this over and over again. He put three glasses of water on a bench in a laboratory and had a trained uh, laboratory technician at each glass of water. And what they were trained to do is to focus on their glass of water with uh, an intent and emotion of love, or another one was doing hate, or another one was doing indifference, not caring, and they'd focus on the water. And then, you know, you can't, couldn't easily see what happened to the water. So he did this ingenious technique where he would take the water and freeze it, flash freeze it, and look at it under a microscope. And it had, it was still H2O, you know, two hydrogens with each oxygen atom making up each water molecule. That didn't change. But the way that those were arranged in a lattice structure or various different kinds of structures, that changed. And it changed in direct correspondence, correlation with um, the intent of the laboratory technician who was dealing with that glass of water. And the one who was projecting love, um, when they flash froze that water, had these beautiful patterns in it of arrangements of the H2O molecules. And that happened over and over again. And the one projecting hate had this really disconnected kind of ugly pattern that was just had no, no good design to it at all. And the one with indifference was apparently the worst of all. And there were, there were a lot of other um, experiments that were done like that with the water responding to intent, focused intent. And I'm mildly interested in that it confirms the presence of consciousness in supposedly inanimate objects, but I'm much more interested because there are implications of how that could be a powerful tool to change the future of the world. Now, I don't have time to explain exactly how that works, but it's something we, that we can all contribute to. And we, we work with that a lot in Planetary Healing Club. And if you're ever wanting to join us, if you feel like it is worth your time and effort, then um, check out planetaryhealingclub.com. But the basic idea is that I'm looking at this, what was exposed in the water experiment as giving us a clue of how to think outside the box to change the input of where our rulers want us to go, the the extermination agenda. And at the very top level of the people that are in charge of that, they're using this projection that's um, demonstrated with the water experiment, except on a negative side. They're projecting fear, division, hate, worry, uh, suspicion, all kinds of negative emotions into the atmosphere that blankets our planet right now. And it's very effective. The spontaneous thoughts that people think they just come up with on their own are much different than they were 50 years ago or more. And that can be reversed. So anyway, that's why I got interested in what Veda was doing. And uh, it turns out that her work is very cleanly focused on what water can do, not just in response to focus like 
a lab tech focusing love on the glass of water. But what water can spontaneously do, communicating back to the human. And she found out that it does. And it's not an anomaly. It's not something that just happened because one side was colder than the other when she froze it or you know, something that people bring up as valid questions of whether it's just by chance. And it's so far away from chance, it's not even close. And her work has been incredible. And she's done thousands and thousands of experiments with different ways of conveying a message to water or asking a question to see what the water wants to volunteer and then freezing it. And the patterns contain language. I mean, literally, it's really interesting. So I hope you'll agree that it's worth listening to and meeting Veda, um, incredible person, and seeing what you think of not only her work, but what it implies for what's possible, because we really need to find something, um, push the borders of what's possible for the sake of the kids that are being born now and generations to come later. Um, I can't say too much about it on some of these platforms or we'll disappear. So stay in touch at lostartsradio.com. Um, donate to our work if you want. I hope you enjoy the video and um, share the links, okay? It'll help us get past the various barriers that are put up right now. So lostartsradio.com, you'll see what we're doing. And uh, also about planetaryhealingclub.com. And now you let's jump into the immediately ongoing phone call or Zoom call and meet Veda Austin. And I'll talk to you after that. Thanks for coming over. My pleasure. <laughs> Happy to be here. Doug, Doug is with us too. And he's going to be doing the recording. Hi, Veda. Hi, Doug. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Lovely to meet you too. So where are you in the world? Are you in, you're in California? I am right now, yeah. I've been here for three months. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Are you are you moving to California or are you gonna go back? Uh, I don't plan to go back anytime soon. Um New Zealand's kind of uh become extremely totalitarian. Mm-hmm. And, I know. Um, I know. Yeah. So yeah. I actually I'm very concerned about what's going on down there. Um we don't know where we're going to, whether we're going to stay here in California or in the middle of the desert. So we're not impacted by too many things that are going on in the, in an ob- in the obvious ways anyway. But mm-hmm. there's talk about even moving to El Salvador at this point. Wow. So I'm not really sure um, <laughs> exactly where I'm going to end up being. But for now, anyway, for the next few months, this is, this is where I'll be. What kind of work is your husband doing? At the moment, he um, he flies surveillance drones. He's a um, pilot, so he's been not wanting to do that job for terribly much long. He's been doing it for six years. He's contracted to the military and has been um, deployed regularly, and so he's, he's no longer deploying, and so we're really looking for a complete life change. He's super gifted as a musician, and he's... But he's, wow. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, what, kind, what kind of music does he do? 
Oh, all kinds. Like he loves to play classical. He loves like some of the new music. He loves electronic music, and he loves. Well, I mean, what kind of is he playing an instrument? Singing? What's he doing? Oh, yeah, he plays piano and guitar, and he sings. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because you know Doug is really involved in a music business. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I do. I do engineering and mastering. I'm like the production side. Right. Well, yeah. That's um, Ryan's incredible. So. For him, it's kind of like one of the one of the things he loves about the water work that I do. We actually met at the um, at the uh, annual water conference in Germany in 2019, and I live in New Zealand, and he lives here in California, mm-hmm. and we met in Germany. And um, <laughs> of course, he's been interested in cymatics and sound and mm-hmm. and water and yeah. how those two so intimately intertwined, and how everything to do with sound and music. I always think we have a symphony of molecules within mm-hmm. us and we all have our own song and when we have a real, really big kind of change in perspective or a change, like a life change, our song changes and that's one of the reasons that some people kind of fall away because they're not as attracted to our song but a lot mm-hmm. of new people are attracted to us and so that sound, frequency, vibration it replies to every everything on the planet and everything beyond the planet too. Yeah, there's not yeah. Uh, not this big inanimate object thing going on. That we <laughs> no. learned so, is your family still back in New Zealand? I have, my two children are here with me. Uh, their dad lives in New Zealand, so it's a little complicated trying to figure out how mm. to make that work. I'm reluctant to send them home because I'm concerned about um, their personal. Uh, medical autonomy Um, and that's a nice polite way to put it (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, but it's a it's a a growing concern honestly Um, and so there's just some some already we've gone over our visa for me to stay here well in a couple of days we would have done but we we legally can't get home until middle of March, because they require you in New Zealand to go through this thing called, it's a managed isolation facility. You'd have, have to go to one of those camps, right? Yeah, and I've already done that, and they're not fun, because um, right. I've been traveling over the, over throughout this whole COVID thing, so, yeah. Um, hmm. yeah, and you have to pay for it, it's $5,000 to, to Wow, to, to stay in those trailers is $5,000? Well, they put you in a, in a in a hotel that is allocated to you. You don't know where you're going to end up. And one of them was horrendous. Mm. Um, there was, I won't even get into it. That's a whole other story. But it was, certainly was an experience. Um, right. And you're guarded 24-7 by the military. And you, can't, you can only go for a walk in the car park at allocated times. And you're watched 24 hours a day. So it's... Um, Definitely an experience. You can't leave the room without being masked, and you you have to have three COVID tests before you can leave. Wow. And they check your temperature and everything every single day while you're there. Um, and you know those swabs for the test are not safe too. Right? Oh yeah, I'm glad they're starting to change those um, now. But yeah, those PCR tests not only painful but dangerous and yeah that, that thin membrane that be you know that protects the brain oh yeah i Terrific. mean i i actually 
told them that I didn't want to get it because I'd had some surgery after my accident because the windscreen went through my face and the impact hit this area of my nose and shattered a lot of the bone, which has left left it quite difficult. Um, I get some sinus stuff sometimes because of that, and I ask them not to do it. And they what, did, what did you run into? Oh, we went under a seven-ton truck rolled twice, and the driver was decapitated. It was one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone lived, and it was really the beginning of my journey with water. This is where it began, because over the course of 20 years, I had um, eight operations for bowel wow. surgery, for reconstructive surgery for my shoulder, all kinds of stuff. Wow. And then I found I had, uh, the, I didn't recover well on my last operation for bowel surgery. And when I came to, they said that I had showers of blood clots in my lungs because of the surgery. And so then they said they wanted me to be on warfarin and I didn't want to be on a rat, a poison really. And I didn't, right. I, I was young, healthy. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never done drugs. I've never even drunk alcohol and I've been vegetarian since I was eight. So I and I've always had a holistic life, but I didn't want to be on. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take it, but they fed me the fear. And so for a few months, I took warfarin. But alongside of that, I wanted to see if there was a natural way for my body to stay well. And mm. I have a friend who's a doctor, and he said if you can find a natural emphasis on natural, not ionized natural source of high alkaline water perhaps it could help to stabilize your body and so I became the guinea pig of my own health and I started drinking all different types of water from New Zealand and abroad that had a higher pH mm-hmm. and eventually because uh, I had a wellness center um, and I have some gifts of healing and someone said to me you know um, I know this old guy who's giving some of his his water away to cancer patients, so maybe he'd give you some. The pH out of the ground is naturally a nine point nine, and so see if it's natural like that. It's totally different totally than the ones different. that they change to that pH. Yeah, well, ec- electrocution and water don't always go well together, and the structural integrity is destroyed through the ionization process, and so. I've done lots of studies on that, and but anyway, so um, I went and saw him, and he gave me a month's worth of this water to try, mm-hmm. and within a few days, I noticed a change in something that a lot of people don't even want to talk about, which is um, bowel motions, but since I'd had so much bowel surgery, it was relevant, and there's so many people in the world sitting on the toilet trying to push out a pebble, which is not natural. We're, right. we're a constipation nation. Yeah. And so... Well, that pushing it, pushes in all directions, too. It's not oh, just yeah. the right one. Exactly. And so I noticed a, cha- a positive change there. And then after da- on day 10, I noticed all these bumps coming up on my arm and along my jaw, which were really painful. And I'm like, what? I know my body's purging, but I didn't know what. So I ended up getting some tweezers and pulling out something out of my arm. And um, when I pulled it out, I recognized immediately what it was. It was this green glass that was actually had been from the, from the car accident. The man who died had a nightclub. And in the back of his car, in the back seat, were all these crates of Steinlager beer, which are green glass, they're in a green glass bottle. Uh-huh. And they shattered when it rolled. And so when I put my arm up, 
like uh, to cover my face, the green glass um, along with the windscreen really shattered in that area. And so uh, between day 10 and 12, I pulled out 27 pieces of green glass that had been embedded in my body for nearly 20 years. And that led me down onto the journey of how water how certain waters have healing properties, how is this working, how can water store information, and it really kind of went from there. Wow. You know, that's a great story, and it leads up to what we're going to talk about. Do you mind if we share some of that? No, no, please do. No, okay, because, I mean, we weren't even officially starting yet. But <laughs> <laughs> that's always what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I think that would be great to introduce you to people. Of course. And it just gives more context to what you ended up doing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you move to California and it, it seems free compared to where you came from, that says a lot. Because California and New York are some of the most intense states right now in this country. Yeah. Well, I've heard L.A. is awful, but literally I I really am in this little town in the middle of the high desert. Right. It's way better. Yeah. I'm not affected in in the same way. I mean, there's only a store and there's no masks or anything and nobody's really even talking (laughs) about it. Wow, that's good to hear. Yeah. There's a guy, um, Paul, what's his last name, Doug? The guy with Paul Preston. Yeah, Paul Preston, who's starting a new state for Mm -hmm. California, all based on individual freedom and the original Constitution and things like that. And what he pointed out is that almost the entire state in the rural areas is, you know, kind of normal. Mm, and the yeah. in, real insanity mm-hmm. is is uh, focused in the cities. Yeah, that's so, what I hear. That's yeah. why I, I'm grateful not to be there. Yeah. So it, apparently it'll just be shown to you and your husband what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go. Right? Yeah. You're yeah. just receptive to that. Well, he's a very, um, he's a very intuitive man. And he's never been wrong. I think we're all intuitive people if we are able to st- to really hear what we really think, not influenced by what everybody tells us, not influenced by everything we see, but discovering actually how we think, what we believe, what we think is mm-hmm. to be right for us. And so he's been following the financial markets a lot and watching how insane um, – the inflation is becoming and seeing where things go when things like this happen. Right. And when you, there's all kinds of things that can lead you to really discovering and thinking where, where to be one step ahead of all of this if, to the best of our ability. And where, um, where, where is the best place to be? but also how not to this me for me particularly as to how not to sit in any anxiety because especially when you're responsible for children especially when they have to go back to a, a, a country which is one of those countries where just a few years ago everybody wanted to go New Zealand as far as the country is so incredibly beautiful it's full of yeah beauty and great people and everything but what I've seen happen in New Zealand today is so um, 
there's so much segregation. They've now started the vaccine passports. So mm-hmm. anyone who isn't vaccinated now, which is most of my friends and family, can't go to cafes, can't go to restaurants. They're now making it so any children over the age of 14 or from 14 up, I think, oh, no, from 12 up, they're not allowed to go to s- swimming pools or libraries or sports events. You can't even get your driver's license or go mm. to university now without being vaccinated. You can't, you can't get the driver's license either? No, no. Now that's mm. starting to be a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. What yeah. I'm seeing happening in New Zealand and especially Australia, who is some of my, my, a very, very dear friend of mine is and is, is suffering being there, it's, it's very overwhelming when you hear people... And friends and family say, God, you were so lucky to get out when you did. It's true. And what's happening is very similar to the late 1930s with the Jews in Germany. Yeah. And there was that, I've seen some um, things on social media where they're saying, you know, how, how, did, how, how did we get to this? How did this happen? But it's, it's been happening over the course of time. And now we're in this position where our connections to to land, nature, earth, are so we're so sort of distracted with all of the so-called um, new ways of the world, with technology and all these advanced so-called advances and things, of which they are in many ways, and they're also destructive in others. And I think that it's it's taken us away from using of being connected to land and water and those things will guide us in the right direction so there's a saying um, in Maori my dad is Maori um, but the mm-hmm. English translation essentially is that the health of the water or health of the river reflects the health of the people and if you then apply that to the world and you see the health of the planet and right. then look at the health of the people and you can see how they everything go together. is working and in, yeah. in intertwined. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when I apply that to my home country of New Zealand and I see what's happening there, um, it's, it's extremely saddening, saddening for me because the message that I'm hearing from water, seeing from water and the work that I do is always reminding us that we're connected. Right. That every living thing is connected, that everything that is alive has water present within it, and that there is something within us all that is the same, that is connected and interconnected. And it, it's, it's such a message of hope and peace. And I guess there's two worlds, the world we live on and the world we live in. And in- Internally, you mean? Yeah, within this body. Uh-huh. And so everything that we experience of this external world is felt through our internal world. Anything we touch is felt through our sense of touch, through mm-hmm. our fingers. Mm-hmm. Anything we see is then kind of reflected through into the lens of our eyes. So we're seeing in this internal way, actually. Everything we hear comes into our body. Every thought we have is felt and thought within, within this realm of this physical body. Everything we taste is tasted through the tongue. All of our senses experience things within the physical body so that 
really is the world we're living in. So if we can start to think that our thoughts, for example, are more like clouds, our thoughts are not who we are. Our thoughts are more like clouds that go past. Sometimes they get really heavy and they it needs to they need to empty and rain, but ultimately we're the sky. And that's what I see with water, water as the observer without judgment. So if we can I've used this as one of my tools in my toolbox to to deal with life when it becomes difficult, to observe myself having an, an emotional reaction to something whilst I'm having it. Uh-huh. So I stay the observer because we're able to do that because I think there are, there are two types of water. I see that in the work that I do where water splits into two types of water as it begins to freeze and before it's frozen. Informed and uninformed water. Water that has become informed or attracted to the uh, influence, whatever that might have been, the thought or the image or the environment or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the water that hasn't taken on that information. So informed water adheres to the glass petri dish within minutes. The uninformed water stays liquid for much longer. I tip that away and then I photograph the informed water and I, in the crystallography that's on the dish. In the same way, people, I think, have two types of water within them. The kind of water that we drink and that that, that hydrates us and that we excrete through urination in various different ways and sweat. And, and then in the informed or essence or spirit molecule of us, which is that second type of water. Even in Maori, the word for spirit is wairua. Wide means water, rua means two, two waters, mm. material waters and the spiritual waters. And so that's why I think that upon death, this, this liquid essence of us is able to go from a liquid into some kind of a gas. And when a gas um, expands, it cools, which is why a lot of people feel spirit as cold would also explain that rising pe- feeling that people that are have it that have had near death experiences talk about where they can rise above their body observe their body and um, and have those experiences it, it goes into alignment with my view that water itself is uh, awareness it is the observer so if the observer part of the essence of us is able to leave the body upon death and observe itself and observe the body that it's left. Um, that kind of all makes sense to me. I hope one day there'll be a technology that can somehow observe this process because I don't think it's not like when water boils and then it evaporates and you can see all of that kind of steam rising because there's only we've only identified four essential types or stages of water, a liquid, gas, solid, and a type of plasma or gel. Mm-hmm. And because 70% of the water on the surface of Earth, and separate to primary water, as uh, scientists believe, came from meteorites or asteroids, making it an alien substance. And by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% of this alien substance 
I think that, and, and, and adding into that, that there's something like over 60 anomalous properties of water. Water just doesn't seem to make sense. It also then makes sense to me that water probably has more stages that we simply are not aware of, and one of them is probably the stage that transitions at death from a liquid into some kind of gas without the need for heating or boiling. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, I don't even know how I got to that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, science is in a really dark age right now. It's very arrogant, but it knows practically nothing. You know, and it's so compartmentalized that they have people intentionally learning little parts without understanding how they fit together mm-hmm. so that they can be misused. I, I'm grateful that there is what, um, certainly in the field that I work with, with people like Dr. Gerald Pollack and Rupert Sheldrake and, um, and others, and Luke Montanua, that this area of the new science of water is very much investigating the, the possibility of consciousness being within that realm of water and that at the very least consciousness can affect water's structures at the very most perhaps that consciousness and water are intimately intertwined which is more of what I have seen Mm -hmm. and believe but I think as far as science goes I think that it's wonderful to be able to sit right now for myself anyway um from an artistic point of view, because science, art, and consciousness, the interweave of all of those, I think, makes for a very beautiful and broad expression of reality. Yeah, remember when we were first talking, and a lot of what we had come to independently was expressed in a little bit different terminology, but it really was coming together as really one understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, where I got to with it, you know, without preconception, just saying what's going on, is that who we are is completely formless on this level. Mm -hmm. It's just in, in the terminology really doesn't matter. But to me, I use the word consciousness, awareness. You know, the that's why you can look down at your body I think even if there were no water left at all, you could do that. Because you don't become nothing when there's no water. Mm -hmm. And that's what, to me, said, we're not exactly water because you can take the water away and we're still there. And there's memory. Some people remember Mm -hmm. going from one form to another. And nothing of the previous form was retained. And yet all of their consciousness was still there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe we're not exactly identical to water because we can outlive it, but we're connected to it intimately in any form that we're in, like the one that you're in now. And it it was like your work has been seeming to confirm for me more the the, um, effect of consciousness, which is the formless identity of who we actually are, aside from our costume at the moment. And, <laughs> yeah. and that consciousness projects in intention and um, focus what's going to happen in the so-called physical world, including water, none of which is really solid. You know, yeah, I like what a, you're 
I like what you're saying. It also then reminds me of the process of homeopathy, of diluting and diluting and diluting and diluting until the actual substance seems un- that it's not present, and yet it is still very, very active. The, the imprint is that, there. The imprint yeah. is there. Uh, Luke Montagnier did, I don't know if you're familiar with his work with um, what, what is kind of, I guess, kind of uh, DNA um, transportation in a way, so or teleportation. He had this study, so he, he won a Nobel Peace Prize for the discovery of AIDS, and uh, he was at the water conference that I went to um, in 2019. And he's done a study that has been now repeated, and it seems almost unbelievable. And a lot of people, when they look at my work with water, say, God, it seems unbelievable. But mm-hmm. when you are working in the realm of water, many things seem un- unbelievable. And I think, so what he would do is that he had two uh, containers of water um, and that were placed side by side. One of them had a sequence of DNA that he had recorded. The other one had none. You and mean he put some DNA material into yes, the water? Yes. Okay. And then the one beside it had none of that DNA material in it. But they sat side by side and they were exposed just to radiant light. Um, and then after a specific amount of time, I think it was overnight, he took the uh, vial or whatever unit he used uh, that had just been sitting next to the vial that had the DNA in it Mm -hmm. and he added some powder or something to see whether there was any kind of DNA present within the water and there was and it was was the same sequence of the DNA that was was sitting beside and that is truly remarkable and that is almost then suggests if this is happening just by being exposed to radiant light, which is almost everywhere, what does that mean when you're sitting next to a person who's full of DNA? Are we transferring information with each other? Are we? I mean, there's so many places that could lead to. Okay, so I I came to the same thing, calling it resonance. mm. And I'm not sure if the light is necessary for that transfer. It, It may have happened in the dark, too. Well, there's infrared light, which seems in the dark as well. So that's why there's so much um, fourth-phase water found in deep aquifers that, that are around um, this kind of infrared light. It's, so even in, which, is, which comes also from, um, uh, even from fire. So I remember watching this um, podcast that Dr. Jerry Pollock was um, talking in, and he was saying that cavemen would huddle around the fire, mm-hmm. and that fire would help to ex- give ex- improve their immune system because the infrared light would expand that fourth phase water in their cells, which is known to help the that kind of cell battery work efficiently. Right, and it's one of the reasons we're so attracted to fire for example, and he was saying that just walking barefoot on the earth, it gives off a negative charge, and that negative charge is so important for the human body and for that type of water to um, stay healthy in. Right, and they've shown what happens to the blood as a result of contact with the earth as well. 
You've yeah. probably seen that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, also from drinking, what is termed as structured water. There's a that's quite a blanket statement, but essentially there are certainly ways to tell if water has a certain type of battery in it, and that's what that what he calls that fourth phase of water, that more viscous water that excludes solids. It's it, it's otherwise known as EZ. And so when you look for it, it's really interesting because I've seen it done. So you put water into a, a little vial, um, into a, like a beaker, small beaker, and mm-hmm. you add something called microspheres to it, which are these like little invisible things that, so if the water moves, you'll see that movement. And then you add a little tube called a naphion tube. It's a little tiny see-through tube. And mm-hmm. then you look at what's going on through a microscope and if that water has this fourth phase within it, this easy mm-hmm. water, you'll see that it self-propels through the tube. It goes round and round and round and round through the tube without any external help. It just does it. It, it, it acts as if it's its own battery. So that structuring creates a current in the water that moves by itself. It, it appears... It, well, I don't exactly know how to answer that, but what I've seen and what I've read is that that kind of water has is, is a liquid crystal. By that, it, it essentially it um, has the same molecular order as that of a crystal, except that it's in liquid form, mm-hmm. and it is able to act as a self-propelling battery by probably because it is literally pushing out the... Um, solates, the salts and minerals, so that it is completely uh, free of those. So there's a process that's going on. It's very minute, but it is actively making the water move. Right. So you're, what you're describing is properties of structured water. And I've heard that defined in two different ways. Originally, <clears throat> people like Emoto in his experiment we're having the lab tech structure the water by projecting intent at the container of water. Now there's structured water being sold that's produced by machines. So what do you think about the difference between those two? Uh, Well, I I think nature knows everything best. I'm not a fan of machine-made waters particularly. And I'll say, and I'll say why, because I've, it's not just because I just have a natural dislike for things that are machine-made because there's certain things that machines make that are very valuable to us, mm-hmm. like certain clothing, certain this, certain the, all kinds of other things. But when it comes down to water, water itself um, has a, a natural kind of amount of minerals within it. That's how it's naturally formed. And so when it goes through piping, it's going through all these right angles. It gets all of this kind of different, it's treated Mm -hmm. um, with various different chemicals to clean it from from what we've already done to it. And then it comes out of the tap. And so that water has a certain disorder because as water goes through right angled piping, it start the molecules start to one lose an electron, so it's no longer in the same sort of structural um, composition as it was when it came straight out of that spring or stream or aquifer. So 
that's already gone through a kind of mechanical system that we've designed. But when it comes to things like ionizing machines, they electrocute the water. Uh, it's a process of, um, of ionization is, is very aggressive to the actual water itself. It splits it into an alkaline stream and an acidic stream, and you're able to then choose what alkalinity you want mm. that water to be. But you're working with the water that came out of the tap, and mm-hmm. then it's being filtered, and then it's being electrocuted. And so um, electrolysis is the same type of process. Women go to and have, or men, whoever, go and have electrolysis done to permanently remove hair from, from their body. It's, right. It destroys the hair follicle. Yeah. And so this process of electrolysis, although water will become um, negatively charged. So the reason that the ionizing process started in the very beginning, even prior to it being about drinking water, it began because the, there was um, there was an observation within the oil industry that ionized water helps the um, the to be able to dig much quicker, much faster, um, and helps that surface tension become not so hard. But there's a uh, place in, called in northern Pakistan called the Hunza Valley. Mm-hmm. It's a blue zone where the people that live the longest in the healthiest state live in the world. They and used to live a lot longer before they had a road into that place. I'm sure they did. <laughs> but mm-hmm. they, um, the, the water that they drank, this glacial water, right. was one of the um, things that was attributed to their longevity. And then uh, some scientists went and started observing the water and testing the properties of water, and they observed certain things. Um, They observed that the water had negative charge. They observed that it had um, a negative ORP, which is oxidation reduction potential. Instead of oxidizing the body, it was actually helping the body stay younger. Um, It had... And it was alkaline naturally, mm-hmm. um, and it had certain types of minerals within it, particularly um, silica, which was mm-hmm. held in a colloidal suspension. And so there were these attributes. So they took those attributes away and tried to recreate them in a lab. And one of the ways that they learned how to do that was to ionize the water. The issue I found uh, with doing that there's a few. One is that um, the pH, the, which stands for power um, or potential of hydrogen, which which is is kind of known these days as being um, so alkaline water. When I'm, so I'll just kind of talk about that. When I come to the states and we talk about alkaline water, most people think alkaline water is ionized water. Mm-hmm. It isn't so clearly discussed that. Alkaline water can occur naturally, and it does. Many waters are actually alkaline. It just has to be over a 7 to be alkaline. But they're talking about benefits of a higher alkaline water for various different reasons. But what I found is that alkalinity, when it's been ionized, as soon as um, within hours or days, the pH starts to drop. And the water starts to reg- come back to its original blueprint. It's it's an unstable. Within pH. hours or days of what? 
of, of being of, of that process having been done and that water having been put into a container of some kind. If it's artificially done. Yes. Okay. Where okay. so if if it's been ionized and then put into a, a glass, if it's right. exposed to the air, the pH will start to drop even quicker. If it's put into a container, a dark container, it will last a few days. Whereas I've had the water that helped heal my body that I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of water, I've tested it for years, and I have a sample that I test every year, and every year the pH has stayed the same. So it's because of the natural minerals and that it has been created that way that it has become, it's naturally that alkaline. Whereas when you artificially do that to water, it's, it becomes unstable. The other thing that many ionizing, uh, particularly, I, I won't go into names, but there's one which I found particularly aggressive uh, to me um, because they, I'm saying things they don't like to hear because they tout this, their, their water as being the best in the world. And what I'll say is these are machines. They're not selling water. They're selling machines. The water that goes into the machine is actually mm. usually tap water. Right. So... The, there is a machine that is making this water do something unnatural. And so what I've, um, they, they talk about this negative ORP as being the best thing in the world. But mm -hmm. what I've done and tested for myself because I worked for a company where I did this professionally is we would go to streams and rivers and lakes and various different places and aquifers and we would test for the ORP of these natural sources. And when taken... The ORP is taken at source, it generally has a negative ORP. It's not uncommon at all. The water that helped to heal my body had a negative ORP reading of 285. That means that it's a stronger ORP, and essentially what that means is that it's a better antioxidant. Exactly. Right? That's, that's all it means, is whether uh -huh. it's an antioxidant or an oxidant. Okay. And so anything up in the, the, the pluses, it starts to be an oxidant and anything in the negatives and as an antioxidant. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a funny term because oxidation reduction potential sounds like how good of an antioxidant it might be. But mm -hmm. if it's a positive value, it's, a, it's not That's, an antioxidant. No, exactly. It is a little confusing. But, um, but what I have discovered, though, and I think the real... The real power within um, the benefits that people see from ionizing machines is that it creates molecular hydrogen. And the process of ionization creates molecular hydrogen. So when you test for molecular hydrogen in one, with the water prior to putting it through an ionizing machine, you'll see that if it's, it, it, it's unlikely to have it. But when you put it through one, then it does have it. This is putting it through an electric current that tends to split the hydrogen away from the oxygen. Mm -hmm. right? okay. So it, it's just a, an interesting thing, and there's a lot of benefits that have been um, written about around the benefits of molecular hydrogen, of which, um, which I think potentially if there is to be a benefit, it's more likely to be that. However, in saying that, with the work that I do as a crystallographer, as a water researcher, mm -hmm. I've developed my own method of um, reading uh, the patterns in ice as, as water begins to freeze. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my process, as I've mentioned earlier, is very quick. I, I, I used to completely freeze water in the beginning. And in the beginning, it began because I wanted to see for myself if water really stored information. I wanted to, right. I was inquiring mind and I wanted to see if it was true. And you didn't know it would only be the bottom layer that was informed. No, no. In the beginning, I had no idea about any of this. This this has been a process of eight years of study. Okay. And in the very beginning of my work, um, for the first few years or couple of years, I completely froze water. And then as I became more familiar with this new science of water, I became very curious about what I might be missing out on. And perhaps within this creation process where the water turns from molecular chaos to molecular order, somewhere in between there, it seemed that there was this time when water was start beginning to create. So I started opening the freezer earlier and earlier mm. and earlier mm-hmm. to see what stage it was at. Right. And then I finally got to this place where I realized that there was a layer of ice that formed within minutes and then this other layer of water that just stayed liquid and if I simply tip it out I would know I would be able to see much clearer what water was showing because it wasn't going to be any more of a pattern if you waited longer it was what happens is that 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 ice then freezes over and it you I mean it amazes me now that I've come so far in this work that I got such clear images in the very beginning um, when I would completely freeze water so when I began my my first ever thought was, well, let's see for myself, I'll project a thought into water. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had a Petri dish, I had used the water that healed me, although over the course of all these years, I've used all different kinds of waters. But the only water that I found that really, um, I, I, I don't get a really complex imagery from, um, is distilled water. Oh, and I wow. think that's because... Um, it lacks the minerals and salts, and minerals and salts are crystals, and crystals are in all our technology that help to store vast amounts of information. So I think water essentially is the observer, and more in the observer space when it's um, distilled, and more in the in the kind of collective memory space when it has more um, minerals and salts in it. Is there a direct correlation between higher pH and higher mineral content? Usually, usually they correlate perfectly with a, a higher TDS or total dissolved solids. They tend to, um, because bicarb, for example, and um, silica and lime and things like that help water to become naturally more alkaline. Right. Are there minerals that would make it acid? That's a great question. I would say certain metals, uh, certain uh, metals may do that. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people love to use shungite, the crystal shungite, right. um, to to help restructure their water. But what I've observed is that shungite makes water more acidic. It has certainly got properties which clean the water. I used to have a, this water fountain. And it was always getting this kind of algae on it over time, and I have to clean it again and clean it again. But I put mm-hmm. these little ro- rocks of shungite in the water feature, and um, the it acid stopped. discouraged the, yeah, the algae. It stopped growing the algae. So um, that was interesting 
segue into something <laughs> into into that. But what I where I was kind of going was that I originally I wanted to see what um, what the water might do if I thought something and put that projected thought into water and uh, from the had, work of had you already become aware of the Emoto experiment at that point well my my inspiring um, influences of um, were Emoto and a man called Laurent Costa and a man called Thomas Hieronymus now most people within the conscious community have heard of Masaru Moto's work with water and the science community really community really didn't embrace his work at all right. but nevertheless it didn't mean that it, it didn't hold significance and importance for the people that embraced it and what he really did was open the door for people to start to recognize themselves as bodies of water that are sensitive to thoughts and sounds and environment and all these kinds of things and his work mm. was very much seen in contrast um Whereas Laurent Costa, who's become a friend of mine over the years, is a French microscopic photographer of water. He uses a very similar technique to Emoto, except his foundation of thought is slightly different, and I think perhaps a little more in resonance with me, um, in that he didn't want to influence the water. He didn't want, didn't feel that he wanted to... Uh, kind of say that he was influencing water. He wanted to see what water would share with him. He thought of water as his spiritual teacher in a very similar way that I do. And so rather than do anything, he simply invited water to share whatever it might want to. Hmm. And then the water revealed the most remarkable pictures. He has a book called Journey into the Heart of Water, um, so he and was still projecting something, but it was an invitation rather than... It was than, an invitation rather, rather than, than... say, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, it was an invitation. And so he was getting images microscopically of faces and fish and hearts and all kinds of things as if water was communicating to him through this wonderful and beautiful imagery. And that really captured my attention because for 15 years I worked professionally as an artist. I designed and painted huge oil-on-canvas paintings for restaurants and hotels and companies and things like that. So I see the world from a very artistic expression. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the happy face, it made me smile. When I saw the heart, it made me feel something. It was a different feeling than looking at the geometries that I saw in Emoto's work, not that they were not beautiful, they were. It was just a different energy. And so that was my second inspirational person. Lastly, which tied it all together for me, was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus, who was a radionic engineer. And years and years ago, he went to a Parisian meat market, and he made an observation which was really interesting. He observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared somehow to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the shape of a liver organ appeared in the frost behind the liver organ and the same thing for the heart organ and these different organs. And so these are macroscopic, so they're visible to the, to the naked eye. And his mm-hmm. idea behind that was that somehow, even though the organ was no longer attached to a physical body, 
it still had some kind of life force energy emanating out of it because of the water in the blood. And so I took all of that and thought, okay, I don't have a microscope right now, but I have some great water and I have a Petri dish and I have my imagination and I'm just going to, and I have a freezer because the secret seemed to be in the freezing for all three of these people's work. To make, it, so, to make it visible. Exactly. So that's the other beautiful thing is that, that idea that nature hides her secrets well. And so there is this literal language, which I've now identified in my more advanced work, which I can talk about later, that appears as water begins to freeze. And many people have not even noticed them because they haven't known what they look like. They, but now that I've recognized them and starting to record them, I'm actually reading messages in water, which has taken me three and a half years to, to actually identify 31 of what I call hydroglyphs. They're a lot like hieroglyphs in the same way that they are a symbol um, that m has meaning and layers of meaning, and that's an unspoken language. It's a picture language that is really trying to give off a, uh, a feeling. It's, a, it's a, a language which is meant to be seen and felt to actually create um, a kind of um, idea, a, a, a language which is not just one word, but actually has a greater meaning than just one word. It's a conceptual language. And that's my... As opposed to the hydroglyphs being letters. Well, the hydro... No, the hydroglyphs are the same. My hydroglyphs, that I've just given them that name, they're not letters. They're actually symbols that hold meaning. So... For example, um, the, the dagger glyph. There is a glyph that looks is in the shape of a dagger. I've called it the dagger glyph because it okay. looks like a dagger. Right. In the early stages, when I, when I, a lot of people have asked me, can water um, identify different languages? So I used the, word Latin, the Latin word for dagger, which is pugioni. I wrote it down. I put the petri dish of water on top of it for 30 seconds, removed it, froze it, using my technique and pulled it out. And, and it came out exactly the same, right? It, it came out in the image of a dagger. So it well, Right, but I mean it would be the same as if you put the English word dagger on there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, th so th that idea of this dagger, I started to think, well, you know, could it mean something else? So to get one hydroglyph, I have to have done the same test using the same influence, for in this example, the word dagger, at least 50 times, and seen, seen that the water reproduces the same image at least 50 times. So I can say it is not a coincidence anymore. Right. So what I found was that it doesn't just mean dagger. So I, I thought, well, what, is, what happens with a dagger? It creates physical pain. So mm -hmm. I wrote physical pain and did that test 50 times, and I got this dagger glyph. I also, now I have identified that dagger means dagger, knife, danger, physical and emotional pain. And so it has these layered meanings, but when you then have more than one glyph in mm -hmm. the ice, which happens regularly, for example, I could see, might see the coin glyph, which means money, 
it also means abundance. Mm -hmm. So if you see the dagger glyph and the coin glyph together, it could suggest perhaps that someone needs to be careful with money or potentially someone who has money has to be careful that someone might be using them. Or you could take that into multiple meanings because the way that might feel to you will, will tell you kind of what that means to you. So it's not like... It's not like, it's sort of the difference between when somebody writes you a text message and it goes blah, 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 something, 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 I'll meet you at the house. Mm -hmm. But at the end of that text message, which is all using words, they might put an emoji for of a heart and mm -hmm. a, like a little blocus or something like that. Right, and right. that heart and that blocus when you see those symbols, those images, they mean something to you, but they're not a written language. Okay. So there is like a different energy that comes with seeing sim like picture symbols compared to reading words. So you're, this is a process of you're saying to the water, here's a symbol that we have. Do you have a hydroglyph that relates to that? And it comes up with something. Well, I, I don't really think of words as symbols exactly. I think a word carries an energy. That's why I think that water recognizes all languages. And I've seen that multiple times because it reads the energy of the word rather than the actual letters. It's themselves. Right. So there is an energy that comes with a word and water reads that energy. But what I'm after is that you're coming up with something in your mind that you're thinking of some symbol or word or energy or something and you're showing it to the water and see what symbol water comes back with i th i I'm, I'm I, I, su I suppose in a way um i guess i'm hesitant to kind of say exactly yes mainly because people always ask me is it you that's influencing the water? Is your mind making the water do what you want it to do? Is it you that's creating all of these images, for example, because water's responding to you? And I'm, he I'm hesitant to say yes in this particular instance. In other situations, I think that water has responded to me definitely, um, especially in the earlier times when I didn't even get to talk about that and I will talk about my very first you know experience with this uh, amazing kind of relationship with water but coming back to this where people are always saying like in my workshop the other day a woman who has very strong opinions on what's going on in the world on very strong opinions on vaccines and things and she said how can I ask water a question when my when when I already know what I think and feel, how can my feelings not impact the water? Uh -huh. It's a good question. It is. And what I said to her, and this is what's so powerful, I think, about these hydroglyphs. Firstly, I'll say that I believe that water sits in a more spiritual expression in outside of a physical body. So when water is outside of a physical body, I think it is more in its expression. It's kind of a spiritual fluid. It's, it's not within the, the realm of the body, which is when, well, as soon as something is encased in a, in a body, there is this desire to stay alive. 
there is this there is a fear there's often a fear of death there is this fight or flight mechanism that is natural within a human body when and and since most of our body is water water is held within this realm of this body but it once it's excreted it then is released from that fear it's released from that body of which is within fight or flight which has a kind of desire to stay alive mm-hmm. water once it's outside of the body is back into that stage of being aware and observant but no not in any fear and so when you are when you start working with water in the way that I've been doing for all these years which is more coming up to 9 years than 8 and a half now I I no longer I of course I've seen water replicate imagery and faces and I've projected thoughts and I've seen my thoughts crystallized in ice I've I've put water on top of people's photographs to see if it will replicate their features and it's done that multiple multiple times I have over 16,000 photos of water responding in these intelligent ways I have no need in my mind anymore to see that water can replicate things. Mm-hmm. What I'm much more interested in doing is seeing what water has to say. And as I've begun doing this, one of the ways in which I've been able to also do this is during sleep. I have left a petri dish of water beside my bed. I've done a study for 8 weeks where I left a, a petri dish of water beside my bed with the intention that it might reveal part of my dream. Now when mm. I'm dreaming, when I'm asleep, I'm not in my conscious mind. I'm going into an unconscious and subconscious space. And so in that realm, it is a completely different realm than the conscious realm. And so then in the morning when I wake up, I may re- have remembered my dream or I may not. I am a very vivid dreamer, so often I will remember them. but the important part to know is there have been times when i have taken that petri dish and i have put it into the freezer and i had forgotten my dream and when i pulled it out of the freezer there is an image in the ice that i can recognize and it jogs my memory that i actually then mm. remember my dream and this is just from putting it on the table next to the bed yes with the intention that with it the might intention. with right. the intention that it might accompany me on my journey through sleep okay and so it certainly has been able to do that in the most remarkable ways and i've shared a lot of this i share all my work on social media um and i do it regularly so people can see that this is consistent this keeps happening this isn't coincidental and i've done repeat studies because my uh and the, and the hydroglyphs are just an extension of all of my repeated studies because i this is a huge repeated study for one specific word and so where i'm going with that is that i now see water as a kind of almost sovereign consciousness different and the same somehow um so what i mean by how it can be different and the same i suppose if you think of the great consciousness of the great spirit of god of of the universe however word you want to use in all scriptures and philosophical texts there's this the suggestion that we are a spark of the divine mm-hmm. within us is a small part of the grand scheme of things of the of the great of the one and so within that 
I see water is actually able to be a kind of conscious expression of oneness in its fluid state, in its air state, in those two states specifically. And when it's in liquid state, specifically when it's in a body, once it enters a body, it's almost as if it's experiencing itself. Someone once said to me, what if water is expressing its consciousness through every living thing on this planet in order to observe itself from every single different perspective? And so I don't, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, I'm just suggesting that that's an interesting thing to consider. And so when it goes through the body, that water that you've drunk has already gone through the trees, it's gone through the clouds, it's gone through mm. the cows, it's gone through the, your ancestors, it's gone through life already, and right. then it enters you. Water doesn't die. It's always in one of its stages. It can be polluted and evaporate, and then it becomes, and then we can't see it. When it's yeah. in its evaporated stage, we're surrounded by water now, but we simply can't see it. And you're, the, everything you're saying there could be said about air as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. And my question is, okay, water and air have that potential to explain what's partially what's going on. Mm-hmm. What about some of this stuff is hard to put in words, but what what about formless spirit consciousness itself? That's that, that's if fun. that could be in a sentence like you said, experiencing itself in all these different uh, forms for me because I've always been interested in different religions philosophies what people believe what ancient wisdom I can learn ever since I've been a little girl I, I, I was always an unusual child <laughs> that I would study my mum's mm. old these these magazines called man myth and magic and I just be all over them whereas most children were outside doing all kinds of stuff I was just fascinated with learning about these kinds of things about life and um, one of the things that I've always, and because of that, and because I've been to India multiple times, I've traveled the world, I've actually spent time with indigenous people and all different kinds of things, I, I have come to see that it really is um, a spiritual expression. Living is a spiritual expression, and dying is simply more of a um, transmutation from one thing to another. It's a different stage. You mm-hmm. simply are released from the physical into the spiritual, more spiritual. The spiritual in you is simply released. And so that's sort of what I keep seeing with water. Water seems to just overlap all of the things that I've learned about spirituality and consciousness. It seems to go hand in hand in every way. And even down to the idea that when, when we die... Firstly, water accompanied us throughout our life. When we are conceived, we're conceived through these, these fluids. Mm-hmm. Whether we're a human being or any kind of mammal or, or amphibian or any life force um, that, that walks around, it's been conceived in some kind of water. Right. Whether it's a jelly or it's amniotic fluid, it's, it's some, some kind of way, an egg. Mm-hmm. And... So we're born as water beings within a water realm. I mean, we're conceived within these watery realms. Mm-hmm. And so there is, 
there is that. And then we grow and then, you know, we grow up. But water is always within us. But upon death, like I said, I think there are these two types of water. And I think that the informed water, that essence water, that spirit, essentially, is able to transmute so easily from one form into another. The rest of the water, the bulk water that's within the physical realm of the physical body, mm-hmm. will eventually evaporate. And the rest of the body, which is essentially mainly salts, will go back to the earth. And so when you apply this to spirit, and I've asked water, my mother passed away in 1999. She was a walking earth angel, and now she's an, an angel in a, in a new way. Yeah. And she was also my best friend. And my biggest fear growing up was that she would die. That was always the worst thing I could ever think of in life. And so when she got cancer, she had cancer for eight years. And um, then she passed um, in 1999. Right. And so, sorry, I keep hearing music or something, but... That's a phone that just stopped ringing. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> and so... Um, Years later, after having started this work, I said I spoke to water. There's, there's no real, nothing I can't, no way I can't inspire water. And I don't like to use the word experiment because I'm a body of water that doesn't want to be experimented on. Mm. And I see that water is so responsive and is co-creating in many ways with me that I give it the same respect to not go with any idea of experimenting on water. I simply love the idea that we have this this connection and this almost um, love between us in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said to the water, can you connect to my mum? Mm-hmm. And I froze it immediately and then... Um, and then I, the, the response in the ice was so incredibly beautiful and touching. So to put it into context, when I used to live in Japan, my mother and I would write letters to each other. It was before the days of um, cell phones and emails. Right, right. And at the end of every letter, my mother would attempt to draw a circle um, because her circles were terrible, and she'd do a heart in the middle. Uh Uh-huh. And so the image in the ice was a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. Wow. And it meant such a lot to me. And, and then I had a, a friend who's a, a big water guy, and he asked me for his birthday if I would put two Petri dishes of water out for him to invite his friends to send messages to the water, and then I'd freeze it and give it to him as, as present. Uh-huh. What he didn't know, and I, I knew that his dad had passed, so there was a third Petri dish. Then I asked the water if it could uh, connect to his dad. Uh-huh. And because he wanted all his friends from all around the world to um, be able to send messages to water, he, he asked me if I could leave it overnight because they were at all different time zones. Okay. So I left these three dishes, two which he knew about and one which he didn't, uh-huh. um, out overnight. And they all had the exact amount of water in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the two that he knew about had the same water amount of water was still in there. I froze them and did, did all of that, and I gave it to him as a present. But the third one, so much of the water had actually evaporated by the time I woke up in the morning. And I thought that was a very curious thing. And the only 
The only way that could have ever happened is if my cat had come and drunk some of the water, and I had that's happened before. So I previously he went he he was outside the whole night. Right, and he I almost never was, goes in the freezer too. No, he never goes in the freezer. <laughs> no, no, but the water was liquid outside. Yeah. So. Um, no, and so anyway, I, I knew that, that that hadn't happened because Jiva had been outside all night. So I, I thought that it was a curious thing to see that so much water had evaporated, but I put it into the freezer, and then I pulled it out, and all of the water had formed into a heart. The, all the water that was left in the dish was an enti- in its entirety was a heart, which I photographed and I sent to him. Wow. And so it was so interesting because I'd left it, it was almost as if spirit of his father had potentially A, either used the water as an energy source or mm-hmm. the water somehow um, needed, needed uh, there was something that was used anyway. The water was used in some way, whether the spirit somehow took some of the water away with it or whether water that used the water to help in, infuse that message, something mm-hmm. happened there, right? which was so interesting to me. And so when I bring it back around to your question around, and I, I don't know, you, you didn't word it this way, but am I influencing the water oh, through yeah. my thoughts to create, for it to, to, to give me an, uh, an image relative to this thought? Looking for the hydroglyphs, in other words. And so I have no idea what water is going to do. I think that that's, I don't, I, in my mind, especially for some of them, for example, like the word matrix, I've mm-hmm. got no idea what that might visually look like in my mind. Because when I think of the matrix, it's more of a feeling for me. It's an idea. It's a concept. It's not like a one visual thing. So for a dagger, you could imagine a dagger, but... For, but for um, matrix, for example, or for the word pharmaceutical, for example, which I've also right. used, or for the word, um, I, I was going to say peace, but I guess you could imagine that it might create the peace symbol, which it didn't, by the way. No, you, the point is you have no idea what symbol is going to come back from the feeling. Yeah, so water is, yeah. is essentially... Creating this imagery now. What's important to re- to recognize with these hydroglyphs is I have two people that I work with on this that I've I've got on board with me because they have learned my technique. They've been doing this work, and in my advanced course, I teach people about hydroglyphs. In fact, I've just now today put the PDF of hydroglyphs on my website so people can actually get it and look at what they look like mm, and okay. identify them. So. The important thing is that one lady, she's from Slovenia. Mm-hmm. The man is from India. She thinks and speaks in a different language. He thinks and speaks in a different language than right. me. Right. All of us around the world, and yet water is showing the same hydroglyphs wow. to them. And so it isn't just me doing this. This is a universal language that we're starting to record. And because I have other people involved that are all around the world and they are also seeing this work and helping me discover more hydroglyphs and helping me discover more layers of meaning, this is incredibly sophisticated work. Right. So 
how how deep, what, what kind of depth or sophistication have you found so far to be able to come back unilaterally without your suggestion from the water? In other words, if you ask a question, not like what is this, what's the symbol of this feeling, but mm-hmm. what could be done in this situation? It's kind of an abstract question, thought like that. Have you tried anything of that sort so far? Well, I have 30 glyphs, and so far I've spent so much time identifying them that we're now at a point where the questions can begin. And so... Because there's a language. Because there's a language. And so there's, this, is, this is the work that... Um, there's a, some direct, a director who is going to be filming a miniseries about me and this work with hydroglyphs. And we are going to be asking some questions to see what water actually says to us. Okay. And we're, we're, we're really looking for the big questions. What could, what could water say that could potentially change the consciousness of many, many people when they, when they see how water speaks? Right. Uh, it's the exact same direction that I'm interested in because this stuff is all incredibly beautiful and amazing and reminds you of the deep consciousness embedded in nature that in the old indigenous tribes before they got corrupted used to talk to all the forms in nature that you know modern scientists who are really in dark ages would think oh it's because they didn't have modern science but it's actually because they were in touch and they knew that there was conscious life in the weather in the sky in the trees in the animals and they would just normally communicate with them and listen to what came back but that's all great and beautiful, but if you see what's happening on our planet right now, and it's a coordinated assault against humanity with the in- intent to exterminate life, I mean, that's where I've gotten to with it. Mm-hmm. I see no other conclusion that makes sense, including themselves. It's a suicide mission, from what I can tell. The only interest about knowing about that and I've gone into all the sub-agendas and all the way that they're doing it and it's incredibly organized Mm. for for thousands of years. This is what they hope will be the culmination now, which I don't think we want to see happen. Mm. Um, What the question is how do we reverse this with people that are not receptive to discussion, debate, um, seeing how anything is beautiful, that's not what they're into. So, and my interest is not really in destroying them. I don't, if that's not necessary, because I see the same spirit in them as in us, but it's under mountains of malicious programming. So is there anything that this discovery about water and consciousness could help us do that would reach them because that would stop the whole thing? Not just reach the good people, reach the people that are playing the roles of the bad guys. It's such a such a huge question. If if, if we all knew the answer to that, I, I would assume we'd be doing it. Um, however, I do have some things to say or suggest about that, and that, firstly, everyone's playing a role. <laughs> there is a kind of uh, I think when we first talked, you talked about 
kind of looking at whether you are the actor or something else. What was that? Separate the actor from the character they're playing. Yeah. You know, most people have no concept of that. They assume they are the character Mm. and they play it very realistically because of that fact. And that's on the so-called good and bad side, both. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying is what it looks like to me now, and I'm just a researcher like you, and I'm totally fallible, subject to complete error about everything. But at this point, it looks like the same pure spirit is the actor in behind every character. Mm-hmm. And if that actor becomes aware of that and they realize they're playing a character out of harmony with the nature of spirit, that they wouldn't be able to do that anymore. They do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that, that one of the things we do as human beings, which is possibly different than a lot of other nature beings, mm-hmm. um, is that we don't, how do I word this? We're not necessarily completely in touch with the rhythms of nature. Some are, and some with, are. With the, with the what of nature? With the rhythms of nature. Oh yeah, no, not at all. And I think that, when it, at least from the perspective of water, So I think that if we actually look at the fact that water is within every living thing, it it resides in in the people that are making governmental decisions, it resides in the people that are making vaccines, it resides in the people that are living holistic lives and that are the artists, the musicians, everybody. Right, right. And... It also resides in the animals and the trees and all of life. And it also envelops this earth in the Mm -hmm. seas. And it also resides in the earth's mantle as primary water in the Ringwoodite. There is so much water within on this realm that is earth. If we actually were to consider, or it could somehow be proven, which is where I'm kind of trying to to go with my work and by doing it in the way that I'm doing with these hydroglyphs is that if we could see that water itself is a spiritual intelligence or a conscious intelligence Mm -hmm. and that it resides within all of us, then then I don't see why water itself, if enough people, and I think by enough people, I like to look at the ratio that of fresh water to seawater in the world. There's a tiny little ratio of fresh water. It's right. like one or three percent or something that of water that we can drink compared to the water that we cannot drink on the surface of Earth. Yeah. If that ratio of people were to become fully aware and conscious of the fact that we are essentially spiritual beings having a physical experience but that that our that that we are also essentially containers of fluid intelligence from a on a great scale and that that intention the intention makes such a huge difference to the foundation of reality and those people were able to to come together 
and become, a, not necessarily in the physical, but energy doesn't need to be in the physical. Energy right. can connect in all different mm. ways. And right. we connect that. I think if, if there are that, we're probably not even that far from that now. And because a lot of things that are happening right now are making people aware of things they were potentially unaware of before. It becomes blindingly obvious if you just look at what's going on in the world that something isn't right, that mm -hmm. something isn't resonant. That's why so many people are in anxiety because there's some part of their inner knowing that this is not right. right. And what is it that makes us feel? What is emotion? The fluid liquid inside of us is seen. Our emotions are literally seen as a tear. When we cry at our highest emotion of joy and our lowest emotion, not worst emotion, but at a low emotion of sadness, when we feel sad, water wells up and comes out of our eyes in the shape of teardrops. And mm. those teardrops are liquid emotion that we can see and taste. And when we think about that, and we think that this is the water within us, our water inside of us knows there's something wrong. Intuitively knows there's something wrong. Right. And so it begins to well up. And there's a saying which says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I see mm -hmm. people standing the heck up right now all around the world. And even though it's so awful right now, what I see going on in New Zealand, there are strong individuals being brave enough to stand up and say, this does not feel right. This does not look right. This is not right. We could to be kind to each other. And I actually think that, that, that water is really on our side. And there's mm -hmm. more of it than anything else on this planet. And if water is on our side, we have a bloody good chance of making a huge difference. It reminds me of that scene in the movie Avatar when things looked hopeless and all the animals came to help. Mm -hmm. Instead of that, if all the water came to help, mm -hmm. kind of what you're talking about. I absolutely believe it. Yeah. And I can feel it, like I've spoken to several indigenous people and we feel it below these, the earth, in the earth's mantle, is held huge bodies of water called primary water. There's apparently more of that water that's held in that crystal, in that ringwoodite, than the, in the earth's mantle than there is on the, in all the seas on the earth. So there's a huge body of water within mm -hmm. Mother Earth and I can feel that rising and feel that kind of wanting to flood. But I know energetically that that flooding is not wanting to be the kind of, kind of uh, biblical flood that we imagine, but a yeah. different kind of flood, a flooding of our hearts, a flooding right. of our consciousness, a rising of our, our true selves and you know, I, I, I really feel very strongly that this is happening. And any anything that wants to make a massive difference doesn't really do it too obviously. It is quietly doing it and mm -hmm. then does something unexpected. And if and I, it's kind of one of those things which I just feel that uh, there, there's so much good. 
I think there's a small portion of a lot of really terribly things that seem so evil, and those actors are playing that that very well, and they're very attached to being that actor, and they believe that that's who they are. Whereas in actual fact, I believe that if there is, if we all knew the power is in the people, there's many more good people that just simply care about their families and just want to have a, you know, a a good life and do good things in the world and kind of serve their purpose in the world and give their children hope. I think we all want the best for our children. I think if we, we, we actually banded together, uh, just, we would we would be able to make huge change, but sometimes somehow we we also forget the the absolute power in the sense not in the power, but even the word power has takes on this kind of idea that there is um, someone to overpower you. Mm-hmm. But when I think of the word power, I think of turning on a light. I think power gives on the idea that we can all turn on our lights inside of ourselves, light up and recognize the absolute power that resides within us. We are made of two immortals, water and salt. You put salt into water, it disappears, but you can taste it's there. And then when the water evaporates, the salt is still there. When someone is cremated, their their ashes are actually salt, so you cannot even burn salt It's a very interesting thing. When you think Mm -hmm. about water being polluted, yes, but always in one of its stages as an immortal, as a shapeshifter, so too is is salt. It's just in a different way. Right. See, one of the, I mean, maybe we can have another episode at some point because there's a lot to get into here and there's a good (laughs) reason to get into it. It's It's not just an intellectual academic discussion. You know, I think what we're both after is what can we do to help a healing of the world, since this is the world we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, uh, perspectives that I'm hearing from when you describe these things is I, some of us have some memory that is not when we're in physical form, not in physical form at all. No water, no salt, no nothing on that level, just Mm -hmm. a higher frequency you know, but the consciousness is all there. So I think water is, as, is full of consciousness, but I don't think it's the origin of consciousness only because I remember being conscious and not being physical. Mm-hmm. And I really experience at this point being consciousness walking around in this body, which is an unusual kind of um, experience, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just my normal all the time. So what I'm looking at, for example... Um, with back to Emoto's original experiment, which we never really explained to people who may not know, but he had lab techs, as I understand it, that were sitting at a bench with a glass of water in front of each one of them. And they were trained to project not a thought, but an emotion. With a thought, of course, but it's the emotion that gives it power. Mm. And um, love, hate, and indifference. And the one that was projecting the love the water responded with this beautiful pattern when it was frozen. That was the essence of what I'm aware of that he found out. So my question, looking at that experiment, well, 
if you're not just doing this for academic interest, which in itself doesn't go anywhere, doesn't change nature or apply it or anything, why hasn't anybody scaled that up? Mm. Because, like you said, distance is immaterial. When you want to communicate with somebody, Mm -hmm. there's not a limit of the speed of light on the speed of communication. You know, they can be at any distance and it's real time. There's also no reality to the limitation of scale. That's all just concept. Because a single atom is like a solar system, if you zoom in. And if you zoom out, our planet is like a speck of dust. So instead of saying we have to do the Emoto experiment with a glass of water that's this big and this big around, what about bigger scale stuff with the same idea? And if you wanted to restrict it to just water, what about the water in in all forms at once as being your new glass of water? Mm -hmm. What would that do? Yeah, I've discussed this with a a few people that have been wanting to do some really large-scale projects. And um, I'll just add that I've done a lot of work based on projecting emotion into water. And my children have done that too and really seen amazing imagery from that. In fact, seen water heal. So tap water, for example, as a... um, as a control always forms these kind of disordered patterns. But when you project the emotion of love, and at the same time, I did, my, when children were doing it at the same time, and so we projected the emotion of love into water, but we were also projecting the feeling of love for each other. Uh-huh. And that took that disordered tap water and made it form into an entire huge hexagon shape that um, formed in the ice. And I usually only ever see huge hexagons from perfectly pristine spring water. So it had healed it. Um, and I think water has an emotional um, state of health. I mm-hmm. call it emotional because water, the tap water still has, it doesn't change chemically, but it changes structurally. Kind of like when somebody is sick, but they choose to be happy or sad. And the, the feeling of happiness will help heal them quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but on large-scale things, if you consider water and also the water in the air, and we consider that emotions um, certainly help water feel better and certainly help heal heal water that has been um, traumatized, <laughs> which is which is how a lot of people feel right now. Um, if 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 we had certain amount of people be able to project into the seas and into the large bodies of water, uh, into the mountains where the waters spring from, this resonant energy, a very huge, powerful resonant energy, then any drink of water that somebody is drinking, from wherever that might be, will start to become impacted by mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And they may, I remember my, my spiritual teacher in India, he reminded me and said once in a talk that the, the, some of the greatest avatars or the greatest um, people that came, greatest as in that they are complete with, completely um, channeled through spirit and that they are enlightened as such. And, that, and he said like Jesus and like 
Krishna and all these different different names. Mm-hmm. And he said that when you if you, you imagine that you're like a vessel, and which I, is easy for me to see because I see that we are vessels of water and salts. Mm-hmm. And so, if you are open to source and it is directly coming through you, and you are and you become this kind of uh, vessel of divine love, and you're open to receiving that, and you can't help but give it out. So it's coming into you and through. Out yes, to it the will. Rest. It, yes. It emanates so far out and will reach people that you will never meet, that yes. will never even know whatever happened to them, simply by the fact that, they, they, that, that your resonant energy reaches so far beyond. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, has always resonated so true for me, that if you really want to make a really big difference, focus, focus inward, on ex- and, then it, and then it will naturally come outward, because that, that's the way love is. Love emanates out. And the more you give, the more you get. It's right. this ever-filling mm-hmm. kind of um, picture of, of, of love. And so when I think about that's, that's the kind of people that I would love to see putting that love out. And, and if you do it through the water systems, then it's a very... Everyone needs to drink water, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. We all need water to live. So right. it's a very, and we all need air to breathe. And one of the reasons that um, prayers work and that is because when you say a prayer, and even if you light a candle with that prayer, or if you're in silent prayer, thoughts still are very real things. Thoughts become things. And so that those thoughts, those prayers, they're they are taken out into the air and they are taken all around the world. And so I really think that there is great power in the power of, of intention, the power of thought, the power of prayer, and the power of love, the power of this energy of divine love which can flood the world. Right. I completely agree in it. I think there's no reason to not suspect that air acts very much like water. Mm. And maybe you can't freeze it as easily. But it's, <laughs> it's another flowing liquid. Absolutely. Slightly less dense level. Yeah. Right? yeah. So the, the emotion and the prayer that comes out of you is probably doing something similar to the air, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe at some point somebody will figure out how to do the equivalent of freezing it and looking at it. Well, it would be interesting to think or imagine since since we're in this physical body, we tend to think in this kind of way. But I wonder if spirit itself, when you're released from the physical realm or the physical body at least, if, um, if the resonance that you give off as spirit, what effects that has, or if it doesn't work like that. Yeah, interesting no. thought. Uh, I'm I'm sure it does, but there are some, and I'm still working on this, but there are some rules that people who are not in physical form have to observe. Mm. And it's something about free will on this level. Otherwise, you know, you think, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we need some assistance right now. Not, not occasionally amazing, you know, appearances or something. We need this thing fixed. 
there are people not not I wouldn't say there are people dying because dying is being released into a an easier situation normally. Mm. But there are people who are, you know, it's what they call being alive when you're still in the physical body. Mm-hmm. Those people are having a really hard time right now. Oh yeah. And some assistance is needed. So I'm I'm trying to pin down under what conditions the people that are not in physical bodies right now that you know that traditionally they've been called angels and other beings that are around it to help us which i've experienced as real what are what is it that we can do to invite and allow them maximum uh scope of action to help here on a physical level because for at least tens of thousands of years in recent history, what I call recent history, um, we've had a strong presence of malicious energy here. And I don't see any reason that can't change. Mm. You know, just because it's always happened doesn't mean that there's a reason it has to continue. Yeah. So. Well, that energy is, there's always a, there's always a reason behind malicious feelings and anger. Mm-hmm. And often, like a Yoda, it's just like it's just like anger is frustration, and it's like it's ultimately it is it comes back to frustration, and that there's from what created the frustration, you know, going back into compassion for that energy. Why is that angry, malicious, seemingly evil energy feel like that? Act like that in the first place. It looks like it comes from fear. So where does fear it, come from? It, fear looks like a mind projection that's not physical. And it's a program, like you're talking about the matrix, mm-hmm. a program that looks real. Yeah. And it colors every experience. And what I found, you know, you're talking about water being conscious. And I, I know we can't go into another 10-hour discussion right now. But, but what I found is that mind, which is not brain, uh, when I talk about mind, it's not physical. But mind is conscious. Like you say, water is conscious. Mind is a conscious being on its own, capable of two-way communication like the water, mm-hmm. on a very quick, clear level, depending on our receptivity. And mind can be convinced to stop projecting those programs. Like a kid playing with a little projector thing. Mm-hmm. It's very advanced and it projects a three, not 3D, but, you know, complete D, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. uh, image that looks like our reality made out of these fake programs that don't really exist. And if mind gets convinced to stop projecting that, they're gone. So if fear is at the base of a lot of things like anger and other just hatred and, and frustration and all these destructive emotional states, and fear can be not projected anymore, the others collapse at the same time. And that looks useful. <laughs> this is a slightly understated thing. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise you could spend lifetimes of psychoanalysis and everything. Mm. And if mind stops projecting the program, none of that's required. Yeah. So, you know, the effort that I see is trying to put these things together. And there's an effect that you said that you can have on other people at any distance which I've been referring to as resonance. Mm. And distance is immaterial unless you believe it's a barrier. Your belief is really strong. So 
if you think you can't communicate over unlimited distance, then you won't. But it's so if we, and those beliefs are programs and they're being projected by mind also. Mm. So getting mind distracted like a little kid who's playing video games, you know, that it's really addicted to and show it something more enjoyable to do. If it's not actively projecting those programs anymore, they stop and everything changes. Yeah. So I'm interested in what we can do with that. I, I think from what I've seen of people that have done, con- consciously done things that are not good, mm-hmm. they generally have a belief system. Whether or not it's, it's evolved to help them consciously do something bad or whether it's something that they actually believe, is that they've learned to believe that what they're doing is for the greater good. They've learned to believe that what they're doing, no matter how bad it might look, is actually for, the, for, for a, a good purpose in their mind. So, you know, I've, I've seen different levels of that. You know, uh, for example, the people working to stop climate change. Most of them are in the category that you think that they're, they think they're saving the world. And this goes up several levels like within the United Nations and places like that. Way above them are the ones that know that there's no validity to that at all. And there's a level at which, you know, that we don't like to think about because most of us are more or less normal people that, that are not into evil for its own sake. And, and even to look at it, <clears throat> what I found necessary is to separate out uh, functions of the mind one of which is strategic analysis and the awareness, you know, for what decisions to make. And the other is emotion. And if normally there's a default setting where they're both together. So if you look at something bad happening, you're at the same time absorbing the frequency of it, and it makes you feel terrible. And police detectives investigating murders have dealt with that. And a lot of them have kind of gone crazy and needed therapy. But you can separate those two faculties and if you do, you can look at anything strategically and not be polluted by it. And so when I did that, and I looked at where this is coming from at the top, <clears throat> there's a level that's called satanic mm. that is not a religion. It, it's an actual experience, and it's connected to non-physical beings giving orders for where to go with it. And they are doing it for the sake of causing suffering. And destruction, that's their goal. And their identity as the character, because we talked about character and actor, um, is that by doing that, they're serving a higher dark power. And their objective is to merge with that and have ultimate power. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty sick, but I think that's what they do feel. And so it's not about money. It's not about saving the world. That's what they tell their servants to motivate them. But they know it's about extermination and pain. I guess and one of... Go ahead, I'm sorry. sorry. Well, what I, what I would really like to say is that one thing that's been proven, and I think it's, it's one hopeful thing, one thing that's been proven is that to be in the energy of evil and anger takes up so much energy. Yeah. So much more energy is expended 
to be angry and evil and all this kind of stuff compared right. to being in the energetic of a loving vibration which which is not consuming hardly any energy it is so easy to do it's refreshing and so there is that is the weakness that 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 within that realm is that it's using up too much energy too quickly it's totally self-destructive and i think that's something good i do too <laughs> and 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 since we're trying to wrap it up quickly yeah. i want people to be able to follow what you're doing and really stay in touch and what's the best way to do that um so i i post daily on instagram my instagram handle is veda austin underscore water and facebook it's veda austin at water researcher and also my website which is uh, vedaaustin.com okay which one was veda austin underscore water instagram okay Okay, that sounds great. So hold on and we'll say goodbye in the break here and hopefully we'll visit again before long. Okay. So that was Vita Austin, amazing person and um, doing incredibly important work in my opinion, taking the next steps after what we have been referring to as the water experiment by Emoto, which in its own right was incredibly important. And... I think Vita would be somebody really worth following on all the social media channels that she mentioned. Um, Instagram, I, I didn't ask her specifically. I think she's on YouTube. Her website that she gave is VitaAustin.com. And she was in New Zealand, but now she's in California and maybe somewhere else soon, but hopefully she'll stay in touch online. And... Um, just incredible work that she's doing. And I hope you enjoy it. Um, share it with people. We have a lot of issues with shadow banning and censorship. And although we didn't talk about anything extremely objectionable for any of the platforms that I know about, it would be very helpful if you guys share the links with with uh, groups and networks. If anybody's got big networks, please do that as with all our shows. And stay in touch with us at lostartsradio.com. That's where you'll know where various shows are allowed to be aired. The ones that are more sensitive are only on the free speech-related platforms. Uh, Some audio, some video, wherever they can get out. And you can help with that if you want to share them. Um, If you want to help support our work, please donate to Lost Arts Radio. And there's a donate button on lostartsradio.com that keeps us going if you think it's worthwhile what we're doing here. And uh, there's a subscribe star link as well. Subscribestarlink.com slash Lost Arts Radio, which is near the donate button on lostartsradio.com. And there's a lot of um, articles and videos there that are posted almost every day relevant to what's happening in the world and inspirational things that are good to stay in touch with. We have uh, this is our Sunday show, but we have a Saturday show as well called Lost Arts Radio Live. It's about current events. Uh, you might like to look at that, all, all the archives and live shows of that are free. And then once that one is over on Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, then we go into Planetary Healing Club, uh, where we get deeper into all these issues with people that really want to work in their own lives and uh, see what we can do to help 
change the world situation for the better, which is, in my mind, pretty urgent thing to do. And that's accessed at planetaryhealingclub.com. Um, if you have questions about it, just send it in on our contact form. And I think that's about all that I had to tell you. We went fairly long show tonight, but I hope you found it interesting and, and uh, worthwhile. Um, these are all built around the idea that you're the key to making the future a lot brighter than it's looking right now. And awakening is what's needed. And what you do inside yourself affects, as Vita was saying, everybody else at any distance. So take your thoughts and emotions seriously and don't underestimate their power. Even if you never are seen by anybody, if you change what's going on internally, you affect everybody, even the bad guys. So your work is super important. And you're the key to uh, writing the script for the rest of the movie that you're the star actor in. So I'm appreciative of what you're doing. Thank you. And thanks for sharing the time with us. It's very, uh, very much gratitude on our part for your being here. And hope to see you next time. Have a good night. And please take good care of yourself. It's the best thing you could do for everybody else. I'll see you next time. Introducing Lost Arts Radio on Subscribestar.com. Just go to Subscribestar.com slash Lost Arts Radio to find our rewards program offering 10 different giving levels starting at just 5 bucks a month. We offer incredible value for any rewards level, from extra monthly interview videos not available publicly to subscription-based Planetary Healing Club videos once, twice, or three times a month, to private counseling sessions with Lost Arts Radio host Richard Sachs, to tech help with me, Doug Diamond. We even have one option where you can be the star on Lost Arts Radio as our guest on a specially produced show just for you. We conduct an interview with you and broadcast it to our growing network and listenership. Our subscribe star levels are one of a kind and offer great rewards for any budget. Please help support Lost Arts Radio. We can't do it without you. With increasing censorship on many of our channels, we really need your support today to keep doing what we're doing. As Richard says, we're not even at survival level yet. Lost Arts Radio has three weekly shows. Lost Arts Radio Live each Saturday night at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific, which is a live stream currently on multiple platforms in case we get banned from some of the larger ones. Right now, we're on Facebook Live, Twitch, and DLive. You can access these broadcasts by going to www.lostartsradio.com live for all the links to those channels. The Planetary Healing Club meets right after Lost Arts Radio Live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Saturday nights. And our Sunday show with guests airs at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on Sunday nights on our Blog Talk Radio channel, our YouTube channels, Facebook pages, and on Brideon. Be sure to sign up for our free email list just in case we do get banned on big text platforms. It's just a matter of time, really. They don't like the stuff we talk about, and they do not want the truth out there. In fact, they have already attacked us numerous times. Join our free email list so we can let you know where we are and how to access our shows. The sign-up button is right on the top right on most pages of our website. The best starting point for all things Lost Arts Radio is our main site, lostartsradio.com, where you can find the hottest news selection videos that we curate just for you. Those are on the homepage and added to daily 
as well as articles and breaking news about information you really need to know. Our show archives, the 10 most recent shows, are right on our homepage, as well as our Blog Talk Radio page at blogtalkradio.com slash lostartsradio, or just click the All Things Radio Show tab right on our website. We're in the podcast directory on iTunes, and all of our shows, except the band ones, are on our YouTube channel, at Lost Arts Radio. Our Brideon page is really taking off, and we often have editors' picks videos right on their homepage. Visit Brideon.com slash channel slash Lost Arts Radio. On our site, you can also access our free listener forum, as well as sign up for the Planetary Healing Club, which is just $25 a month where you get private access to a one-on-one interaction with host Richard Sachs and myself and the other club members who participate live. More info can be found at planetaryhealingclub.com. We're providing solutions in there to make the world a better place. Come join us. Stay tuned because up next, you'll get to hear a really great song by an independent artist that we're doing our best to support. Go to lostartsradio.com slash music for the full list of all the great songs and bands that we spin on our audio-only podcast shows. If you're in a band and want to submit a song for consideration for airplay on Lost Arts Radio, visit my website at diamonddiscaudio.com for more information about the music placement, mastering, and mixing work that I do. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Lost Arts Radio. We love having you as part of our family to learn, experience, and grow with. Feel the sunlight Oh 